Good morning. My name's Joe. Um, I've been going to Remedy now for about a year and a half, a little bit longer. Um, I am married to Jessica, sitting in the back over there, the yellow scarf on. Wave to everybody. No. Um, and I have three kids, uh, Joey, Otto, and Olivia. Um, and I have been uh, tasked today, it's my pleasure today, to talk about service and about the discipline of service and what that means and, and those types of things. Um, so our, our service, our spiritual disciplines, excuse me, um, little mini-series that we're doing here has a theme verse, which you guys saw up there. And uh, I'm just going to read it again um, for our, all of our own edification here. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. It, up on the screen it said, keep it under control. But, but that's the language that Paul is using here. He's, he's using a, a version of the slave word that's used throughout the rest of the New Testament to talk about how he disciplines his body and makes it his slave or keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I should myself be disqualified. And so last week we learned from Chris uh, about scroll eating like bread or, or word steeping like tea or or firm foundation making like a builder, Bible reading. And this week, we're going to spend some time wrestling with the scriptures say about service. Now, uh, the, the title of the sermon is Three Ways to Rethink Christian Service. And so I'm hoping that I am able to challenge some of the ways that we view the world around us and help bring us more in line with what the Bible teaches and help us think about service in a new way that maybe we haven't thought before. Maybe that's a little surprising, but hopefully is always edifying. Because I want us all to see Jesus and to love Jesus more and to obey Jesus better. And so our our text today the thing that we're going to be looking at is Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. And so Fudd, a couple months ago, back in March, preached on this text. So I'll only go the context very quickly. Jesus is, he has just set his mind to go to Jerusalem. He's on the road. He has just predicted that he is going to be crucified and that he's going to rise again. And then after that little section, um, two of Jesus' Two of Jesus' disciples, through their mother, asked Jesus for power and prestige and preeminence in his coming kingdom. Jesus asks them if they're willing to drink the cup that he's about to drink, and they say yes. But Jesus says it's, it's not his place to, to say he's going to have preeminence and prestige and power in his kingdom, but the Father's in heaven. And, and the other ten disciples, who are not of the two, they get all upset about this and And Jesus, sensing their anger, right, he says, our passage for us today. He says, But Jesus called his disciples to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. I want us to to think about the service language Jesus is using here. Whoever must be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus takes this whole world of preeminence and power and and what it means to be first and he tips it on his head and if he was a rapper, he would drop the mic and walk away, right? That's what he would do. But I, I can't do that. I don't have his spiritual charisma or I'm not God incarnate like he was. So as much as I would like to end this sermon with Jesus' words just right there and then leave the stage, I'm, I'm not going to and I can't. But I do want to start by praying because that's a good way to start and I want all of our hearts to be ready. And so God, 
I ask that you would help us to hear from you today. That you would use my words um, to quicken the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us, to show us how we can follow Jesus better and how we can love him more. I hope that you implant in us a greater and stronger desire and love and cherishing and service for Christ. These are the things that we need from you today. We are so needy and so desperate. Come and serve us today through this message. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, I'm talking about rethinking Christian service because I feel like each and every one of us has an idea already of what we think of when we say the word service. Every single one of us understands service in some sort of way, and we may even feel bad about our lives because we feel like we aren't serving enough, right? We're just too busy to serve in children's ministry, or we just can't seem to find the time to, you know, go to a, an old folks home and, and an elder care facility and just sit with people and, and enjoy their company and, and provide them the companionship that they need. And, and we live life guilty and full of regret that we're not doing enough, right? That, that we're missing the mark, that we're failing, that we're falling short. And, and I'm hoping today to help us all address that because Jesus cares for us, right? He loves us and he wants us to see the world rightly and not through our own uh, view of the world and our own perceptions of reality and things. So that's kind of introduction here. Um, now in, in our passage, I'm, I'm going to try to make a very bold claim um, and it is a very foundation for the rest of my sermon, is that the words, the words, the words, right, the actual words Jesus is using here of servant and slave and be served and to serve, those, that language the New Testament writers pick up on, and they use it throughout the rest of the New Testament, both as they write the Gospels, right, because the the hearers, of the, gospel, the hearers of Jesus, they heard him say these things, then they wrote them down. But then everybody who wrote after that, they wrote their own stuff, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that as we look at the, these words that Jesus has used, that our, wor- our world will be rocked and will change the way that we examine our lives today. The, again, the important words here are servant, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Those are the important words. And they are the foundation upon which this whole sermon is built. And so the, the first way I want us to rethink service is to see service as life. That's kind of the, the very basic principle. Everything else is going to build off of that. So We think we have this idea of service, but I want you to see that everything is service. Everything. Not just the things that you already think are service, but all things. And we see this in our text. If, if you look at Matthew 28, he says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, or 20, verse 8, 28, excuse me. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, to be sure... Jesus using the word life here, he is definitely talking about his impending crucifixion. That is definite, right? Just from the context of Matthew. If you look at verse 20, 17 through 19, right? He is saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. He's talking about his crucifixion. But I also think he's talking about his manner of living. Just look at verses 26 and 27. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And this servant and the slave language is talking about a manner of living. And it is the manner of living that is emphatically compared. They're the same thing as Jesus living and laying down his life for us. And so Jesus is saying here that life is service. Now, the, the next couple points here is, is going to help explain that. I think the first two ways may be a little surprisingly, 
And then the, the third way um, is going to, not surprising, but I think we all kind of understand the way that works, but hopefully it'll give it some nuance, right, and help us understand it better. So the first two may be a little surprising, and then the third one is, is going to help us understand what Jesus is saying here better. And so our first passage that helps us understand better what it means that all of life is service comes from Galatians 4, 8, and 9. Four verses, 8 and 9. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by, that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Again, all things are service. And what this is showing us is that life before Christ was service. The, the life before God here by Paul is styled as a form of slavery, right? Remember what Jesus said? Whoever be first among you must be your slave. It's the same type of idea that Paul is using. He's even using the same words that Jesus is using. I want you to think again. What, what was your life like before you were in Christ? What types of things were you doing? What activities were you engaged in? How did you spend your time? Have you ever once in your whole life considered this service? And, and what, what's interesting is if you look at lives of unbelievers, right, and believers, when you look at the outside of things, right, they seem the same, right? Everybody watches the seasons change, right? Not everybody watches TV, so I had to change. Mid-sentence. Um, everybody drives their car. Everybody eats food. Everybody works. Everybody listens to music, right? Everybody has a friend, probably. Um, these are all things that we all do and we all have. And so when I read this, I was a little baffled. What is Paul getting at? What is he saying? Is he saying that when I help my grandma bring the groceries in, that I'm serving? Or that when I'm building a house for Habitat for Humanity, I'm serving? And that when I'm giving money to the Red Cross, I'm serving? And that when I'm friends with Davy Campisi, who is a childhood friend of mine, I'm serving, and not only am I serving, I'm a slave to that which by nature are not God's. Is that what Paul is saying? And I believe with all my heart the answer is yes. Yes, Paul is saying that. He's saying that my manner of life, the activities that I engaged in, all that I did before I was a believer was service, just not to God or my neighbor. Now, I believe that that is what Galatians says too. Because if you're looking at, at the argument of Galatians, what's going on with that church? I mean, that, that church was in dire straits. The letter of Galatians is, is very like, what are you doing? That's Paul. That's what Paul is saying. What are you doing? Right? He's very upset. He's very concerned. He is frustrated with them. And he's frustrated with them because they're returning to the law. The law. The first five books of the Bible. Have you ever read the first five books of the Bible? Especially those sections, right? Where it talks about the strange things, right? Where it talks about mold. There's regulations on, on what you do when there's mold in your house. There's, there's laws about touching dead people. There's laws about how, what you can eat and how you can eat it. There's laws about cutting your hair. There's, what, there's laws about what happens when, when bodily functions are going on. There's laws about who you should marry and how you should treat your animals and how you should plow your fields and what day you can and can't work on and what happens when a baby is born. The law encompasses all of life. And Paul is saying that if you as a Christian, somebody in the church, want to take a life under the law again, you are going back to slavery. You are embracing a life, a pattern of living that is slavery to that which by nature are not God's. You are no longer serving Christ and you are no longer serving your neighbor. The law encapsulates all of life. And that's, that's surprising. I think when most of us think about life as a non-Christian, we don't think of it as service, that all of that that we did was service. But it was. It just wasn't to God and it wasn't to our neighbor. And so yes, 
I think that Paul is saying that all those things that I did as an unbeliever were not Christian service. Which kind of leads us into our our second area of surprise, of rethinking Christian service. And that, that comes to us from Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. Remember, all of life is service. The only question now becomes, who are you serving? And and from this passage, we are going to find that we can even be in the church here and not serving Christ. Romans 16, 17 through 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ. And again, that, that word serve there is the same that, that Jesus is using in Matthew 20. When he says, whoever would be first among you must be your slave. They don't serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I find it so interesting and so mind-boggling that the New Testament writers wrote this way. They talked about service as slavery. And they did it because of what Jesus said in Matthew 20 and places like it. Mind-boggling. And so what Paul is saying in this passage, this right here, is that these division causers and doctrinal obstacle raisers are not slaving for Jesus, but for themselves. And so here, here's kind of the kicker. What were these people doing what, what, what were they doing? How were they acting? What were the things that they were engaged in? Well, I, I doubt they were writing a, a blog post contra Christianity, right? Or I doubt they were tweeting something about Christians being lame. Or I, I don't think they were making a Facebook update about how these people get it wrong and these people get it right. That's not what they were doing. They weren't developing TV shows or movies or magazine articles that attacked the very core of the Christian faith. Well, then what were they doing? We don't know for sure, right? The Bible doesn't say, but we can guess. And my guess is that they were teaching the Bible just wrongly. They were encouraging their friends and they were questioning Sunday sermons and they were inviting others over for dinner and fellowshipping and working hard at work and developing relationships. They could have been community group leaders or Sunday school people. They could have been preachers. They could have been all of those. But what's key, what this passage teaches us, is that they were not serving Christ in the way that they were serving. So it, it, it becomes not just what we're doing. It's not just, oh, I, I, I preach, so I'm a servant. It's not the act or the thing itself, but it's a spiritual reality behind the thing that makes it service, that makes it Christ-honoring, that makes it good for your neighbor and for yourself. And so how might they have missed the mark? What might they have been doing that missed it? Well, they could have been doing their service to be seen by men. They could have been doing whatever they were doing so that their wife would be pleased with them or that somebody across the way would see them and be like, oh, he's so great, look what he did. They could have been doing service to feel good about themselves and be able to pat themselves on the back and have their conscience um, appeased because they feel like such a bad person. They could have been doing it to manipulate somebody, to serve so that they can get what they want from somebody else. And so as we reflect on, on what Paul is teaching us and the way that it connects with the rest of God's scripture, we find that serving is, is definitely more about just the things that we do in the physical world, but also depends on the spiritual significance and reality of things. Our life is service. And and this leads greatly, it's a great lead-in, into the third kind of nuance that I want us to see when we think about our life as service. And it comes from Colossians 3, 22 through 24. And, And this nuance is that even mundane quote-unquote, non-spiritual things are service. Let's look at Colossians 3. It says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So bond servants here, that is the exact same word that Jesus is using in Matthew 20 when he says slaves. And you are serving the Lord Christ at the end of our passage is simply the verb form of that noun, of slave. And so what's interesting is that these slaves weren't teaching others the Bible, right? They weren't working in a soup kitchen. They weren't giving their time to children's ministry. They weren't doing a service project on a mission. They weren't ministering in the home of the elderly. They were simply rendering service with sincerity of heart, in the fear of the Lord, working heartily, and with a mind of the fact that Jesus is master and reward distributor. Now, there's something very interesting going on here that I, that I think is worth pointing out because there, there's a very tight correlation between this section, Colossians, in 3.22 through 24, and Hebrews 11.6, right? Which is kind of the quintessential definition of what faith is. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so up on the screen here, we're going to see how these two things correlate so beautifully. Okay? So we have Hebrews 11, 6 on the left and Colossians on the right. So remember, 11, 6 said, he, he must believe that he exists. That correlates extremely well with work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, right? Because in order to work for the Lord, you have to believe, right, that God sees what you're doing, that he is there, that he cares, that he is present with you as you type away on your computer or as you click your mouse doing your, your job or as you, you build something or you think deeply about solving a problem that needs to be fixed or as you change a diaper or cook a meal or lay a foundation or any of the multiple tasks that we all do every single day, right? And, and these slaves were doing so he must believe that he exists is very much related to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You have to believe, right, that God is there, that he exists, that he cares. And then finally, the, the second one is that he rewards those who seek him is pretty much the same thing as saying that knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. So essentially, all Paul is saying, if, if you could sum it up, he's saying servants work from faith. That's what he's saying. And as you work from faith, you are serving the Lord Christ. And so these, these slaves, they were about making culture, right? That's what we call what we do. As we're out in the world, as we're working our trade, as we're writing things, as we're having families, that's, that's all culture, right? And so these slaves, they were just making culture each and every day. They were, they were learning, they were trying new things, they were building stuff. And so one of the biggest applications that we can take home from this is that our own culture making, the things that we do every day, our jobs, our taking care of our families, our, all those things should be seen as service. And so your life, your very life is service. Even the mundane, the ordinary, the common is service. Now I have used the word service probably half a million times, right, in the past 15 to 20 minutes. I've said service, 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 service. Well, what does it mean? What is service? How should we understand it? And so let's define it. I think definitions are always good because they help us all be on the same page and they help us understand what's going on. And so this is a definition of service that I think is helpful. It says, service is the love birthed actions derived from orienting your skills, talents, energies, and abilities toward the good of another from a place of faith for the glory of God. Now we're going to go on a, a little bit of a tangent here because when you use the word love, almost immediately everybody has a different opinion about what it means. You know, the, there's, love is everywhere. It's, it's so commonly used by every party in every situation 
that it, it becomes difficult for us to understand what maybe somebody like me is meaning when I say the word love. So I just want to be crystal clear here. When, for example, we, we say the words like, I love coffee, or I love that shirt, or the words of the Faith Hill song, right? Ooh, I love the way you love me, baby, right? Or even might hear it sarcastically like, so how was your dentist visit? Ooh, loved it, right? It's, it's sarcastic. Is that how I'm using the word love when I say love birthed? Surely not, right? Instead, I'm going to use a, a quick little syllogism. It's just a logical argument to help give us a definition for the word love. And so, again, syllogism is just a logical device. You take a set of sentences. Those sentences mean something. Then you draw a conclusion from those sentences. And so here it is. So God is love. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is love. Very, very simple, okay? And so what, what I mean then when I use the word loved, when I say love birth, I'm also saying Jesus birthed. I'm saying anything Jesus did or any pattern of activity that Jesus engaged in is love. Therefore, anything that follows from this pattern of living is also love. And, and you'd really be surprised, right, at the different things that Jesus did. Just read the Gospels. He did all sorts of stuff, and it was all love, right? He, he confronted people. He challenged their assumptions about the way the world worked. He healed people. He, he set his mind, right? He set his mind to go to Jerusalem. He went on road trips with his buddies. He ate food and celebrated weddings and died on a cross and enjoyed life. He probably even made jokes, right? And all this was done out of love. And so what the Bible says Jesus did and who Jesus is and how Jesus thought and the way Jesus spoke and the gentleness of his touch and the power of his presence, the perfection of his obedience and his God-centric attitude of his life was all love. And so when I put it like that, right, it almost seems silly for me to say that service should be love-birthed. Of course it makes sense, right? Because Jesus did it, we should be doing it as well. But I have it there because it's also commanded throughout Scripture. Galatians 5.13, Christian service birthed out of love. It says, For we were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve there is again the word slave for, right? The same idea that Jesus is using in Matthew 20. Whoever would be first among you, must be your slave. We also see it in Mark 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Again, the word slave for. For neither he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve, you cannot slave for God and money. You serve what you love, and you love what you serve. For the Christian, this is Christ and flows from Christ and is like Christ and makes total sense once I say it out loud. It also makes total sense that our service should be from faith, right? When we looked at uh, Colossians and how it intersected with Hebrews 11, it's essential. It's non-negotiable. And once said, again, it, it almost seems silly that I'm even bringing it up, but how often do we walk into our daily activities without one thought to the lordship of Jesus. One thought to that, he sees what I'm doing right now. As I'm driving to work, he's aware and he knows if I'm unkind to the person trying to turn left on the two-lane highway and I'm speeding up to close the gap instead of maybe slowing down a little bit so that they can turn, right? He sees those things. He sees when I'm, when I'm at work and I, wanna, I just want to punch it in and not, not work very hard for the next eight hours, Right, right when I get in. He sees those things. And I forget that he is master in those moments. He is master. He is in control. He wants to reward me in those moments. Not the people we serve. Sometimes we can be motivated, right, by, by the, the love and affection. Like, I'm a parent. 
Sometimes I'm motivated by the love and affection I receive from my children. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something wrong with that if that's your only motivation, right? If your only motivation is to receive a reward from the people that you serve, there's something wrong. And we don't, we don't receive a reward from the people that see us serving, right? So if somebody sees me being a great dad, they're like, oh, he's so great. I'm going to talk about how great Joe is. That's a reward that I receive. And if I only do it for that, if I only do it for people to think that I'm the world's best dad, that I'm, I'm missing the mark, right? I'm serving my own flesh. I am serving that which by nature are not God's. And I'm not doing it for my own conscience. We shouldn't be doing it for our own conscience so that we can pat ourselves on the back and be like, hey, I did it. I did it. I can feel good. I can, I can massage the guilt that rests in my heart and be like, oh, I did it. I was able to accomplish the task. Faith has a single focus, and that's Jesus. Jesus is our focus. I'm not saying those other things are bad or that they should be avoided at all costs, but our focus should be Jesus and pleasing him and serving him with all that we have. And this, this really ties in well to our, our first two points, right? Where we talked about how all of life is service, even our life before Christ, and even in the church we can be serving um, and still not be serving God. Because if we do anything, anything at all from a worldview or a mindset or a mode of operation that does not look to Christ as our rewarder and our reward, we are not pleasing God and we are not serving our neighbors as we ought. So a real life example again is I'm a husband, I have kids, uh, my kids need to eat, they need a place to stay, I have to provide for them. This is a, a command of scripture. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's 1 Timothy 5.8. I mean, it's pretty clear, right, that I'm, I'm to provide for my family. And I, I do this by working and earning a living and by applying my trade. And for all intents and purposes, right, I'm just like a slave. But remember what we saw in Colossians 3.22, that there's a clear emphasis on faith and looking to Christ as my reward and my rewarder. So if I go into work only wanting to be there because I don't want to get fired so that I can take care of my family, or only go there so I can get that promotion because I like promotions and I like to be above people and I like, I like the people to think that I'm important, or if I only go into work because I know that in two months I can take a vacation, right? I am not pleasing the Lord. I am not serving Christ and I am not serving uh, man. Instead, we should approach work. I should approach work. I should approach all of my life, my parenting, my working, my resting, my playing, my everything, my food eating, my driving with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, working heartily, and knowing that the Lord rewards. That's all from Colossians 3. So this means we work hard of our jobs. We do it with integrity. We work sincerely and we work for the reward that the Lord gives, which is likeness to Jesus and fellowship with him. And that it's life is, is also, I think, fairly clear. And I, I try to summarize it, summarize it by saying that it's the use of our skills, talents, energies, and abilities for another. And that's from Colossians 3 again in Matthew 20. So obey in everything is the word of Colossians. Whatever you do, work heartily, Colossians. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And these words, skills, talents, energies, abilities, is try to be the, as broad of a net as I can cast. It's supposed to encompass everything of life. Because I, I don't know about you, but I don't know how skilled you can truly become at emptying the trash can, Right? You, you could probably get better at it the more that you do it, the more times you practice it. But it's not, it's not a, I wouldn't call it a skill. I wouldn't call it a talent, right? I wouldn't even call it an ability. But what it is, is it's using your energy. It's using what you have to do something. So it, it, even, it even fits emptying the trash. But it also fits things that require a lot of skill, like writing or enforcing the law or being a student and learning, or coding if you're, if you're into computers, right? It, it covers and should cover everything in our lives. Life 
is service. And the last way that I want us to to look at service and begin to rethink the way that we, we approach service in life is that service is following Jesus. If, if our definition, if the definition that I, I, I read out previously is to be believed, it has to, it has to stand the test of Jesus. Right? You have to be able to see Jesus' life in that definition or my definition is not valid. It doesn't serve you well and is no good. So, so let's ask ourselves this question. Do I see Jesus? Did Jesus act this way in this definition? Did Jesus have love birth actions derived from orienting his skills, energies, and abilities toward the good of another from a place of faith for the glory of God? Is that the life that Jesus lived? Right, I, I think it is, and, and I think we can see his life as service from Matthew 20, 25 through 28 again, but especially in verse 28 of our section, where there's just a small little phrase. The word is even as, right? Even as. Now, th- this idea uh, suggests emphatic likeness or similarity. He's saying like, just as I, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus commands you, he commands me, he commands us to be servants and slaves just as he was. Jesus was a servant. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus epitomized the love birth actions derived from orienting your skills, talents, energies, and abilities toward the good of another from a place of faith for the glory of God. This, seeing this takes into account a whole wide breadth and birth of Scripture, the whole Bible even. Old Testament, New Testament, whatever testament you want to fall in, that's what this definition captures. But it's especially so in the book of Ephesians, and especially so in Ephesians 1, 3 through 8, and two, four through five. So I want us to see how Jesus acted in a love birth, good for another, the glory of God, with all of his talents, energies, skills, and abilities. Uh, Ephesians 1, three through eight says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Good for you and me. Even as he chose us in him from the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, right? He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Again, for God's glory. In which he, he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Again, good to you and me. Redemption, forgiveness, Riches of his grace lavished upon us. Let's jump to 2, 4 through 5 now. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So again, look at this language. God brought us to us by Jesus. The the good brought to us, right, by Jesus is uses the words like immeasurable riches, redemption, forgiveness, rich grace lavishly given, every spiritual blessing. It was all done out of love, right? In love he predestined us because of the great love with which he loved us. It was all for the glory of God to the praise of his glorious grace. It also involved his skills, talents, energies, and abilities. But where is that? That one's a little bit harder to see. I think it comes from the the phrase, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Because you have to ask yourself, when did God do that? When did God make us alive and raise us and seat us? Well, he did it when he made Christ alive. He did it when he made Christ. Christ raised up. He did it when he seated Christ in the heavenly places. 
that is in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension into heaven. So one of the kind of the key, kind of key turning points here, right, is that Jesus's life was service. Our life is service. We've seen what service means, and we've seen that Jesus, Jesus's life is service. And what's so interesting about Jesus's life is Jesus's life is the message, right, of the gospel. That though we were dead, though we were sinners, though our hearts were captivated by sin, though there was no hope for us in our own flesh to be brought near to God, though that we had no power and no hope and no any chance, right? No chance at all of getting to God. Jesus came. He came so that we may have that life. He came so that we would know God and be transformed into his image and into his likeness. This is the message of the gospel. And I hope that hearing it today, hearing it again, helps us all understand it and helps enliven with us a love and a devotion for our Savior. Because he has served us. He has come to us and he has made a way for us to know him. He has accomplished all that needs to be accomplished. He has, he has leveled every mountain and raised every valley. He has done it all so that we can know him. And so if, if we want to learn what it means to serve, if we want to understand what it's like to live like Jesus, we need to examine the life of Jesus. We need to spend time reading the Gospels. Ask yourself questions like, how is Jesus serving here? What, what is it about Jesus' life that he's saying? Or how is he acting towards these people that, that encapsulates, that, that lives service and love and peace? And so you can do that. Go, go from here and read the, the Gospel of, of John. Go read Mark. It's short. It's very short. It's a short book, as far as Gospels are concerned. Um, go and read those and ask yourself these questions. Meditate on it. Use the discipline that we learned last week about spending time in the Word and studying it and thinking about it, hiding it in your heart. Because we have to confront this daily because there are intense obstacles right to our service. One of the biggest ones that I, hopefully I've, I've done a, a decent job of helping make us all aware of is that we just forget, right? We just forget that our life is service. When I, when I asked what, what is service or when I was saying service, you may have a very clear idea of what I was going to talk about before I even came up here. You may have thought about certain activities or tasks that you considered service. And maybe you didn't consider other things service. And just that not even considering them, right, was an obstacle to your ability to serve in those situations. But the biggest obstacle that I think I face every day that is summarized by that is my own flesh, right? My own body, my physicalness of who I am, right? My thoughts, my hungers in my belly, my thirst in my mouth, my tiredness, my anxiety, my... Um, unwillingness to be patient, right? All the things that rise up in my flesh that I feel in my body. And so that is why uh, service is a discipline, right? Because the flesh has to be pummeled, right? It has to be slave-made. It has to be defeated in order for us to serve as we ought. And so discipline, discipline, spiritual service, discipline, um, is something that we can use to help defeat our flesh, to help confront it, to help overcome it. And so what, what should we do? And how should we go about being disciplined in our area of service? What can we be doing? What are some easy handles for us to walk away from and begin to apply, hopefully, some of the things that I've been, been good at, at making clear to us tonight, or this afternoon, this morning? It's morning. Well, I think there's four words, four things that we can do. The first is remember, then we want to resolve, we want to rely, and we want to rest. So remember, what can we do to remember? We need to remember that every moment of our life is service. Everything. Everything can either be done for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of Christ. Everything. So make it part of your daily routine to set aside time to remember. 
whether it's as you're reading the Bible and going through John or Mark or, or some other book of the Bible and, and thinking about what can I learn about Christ and the way that he lived and the way that he died? What can I be doing in response to this? How can I be pattern, pattering, patterning? Making my life follow the pattern of Jesus. What can I be doing? How can I follow him since his life is service? Or maybe it's as you pray, the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe it's as you pray about your work. You ask that you would obey God in all that you do. Maybe you set yourself little reminders because you're, you're so forgetful like myself. Reminders to remember, alarms on your phone, things on your calendar to pop up to help you remember. Or maybe it's as you're listening to music and you just remember that your life is service. We have to make time to remember. And this is where Bible meditation becomes so key, where the disciplines work together so well. Because as we read and meditate and internalize the truths of Scripture, we will find new places and unlock the depths and beauty and brilliance of the Bible, especially as it, as it talks about service. We have to remember. The other thing that, that we can do is we can resolve. We can resolve to make your life one of service. Jonathan Edwards, he, he wrote 70 Resolvings. That's what it's called. Um, and his first one, his very first one, summarizes kind of the whole point of what I've been talking about very well. It's kind of the second half. He says, Resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. I'm resolved so to do whatever difficulties I meet with, how many soever and how great soever. Now his language is old, right? It's old but his point is timeless. Make a decision to work for the good of men in the love of Christ, out of faith, and for his glory. And be ready in your mind to deal with any difficulties that may come up, even if they're from with your own body. Make that decision and resolve. Now, I am, I'm totally aware, right, that we cannot live in a bubble. Our own resolution is not going to be enough. Which brings us to our, our third. It's we have to rely on each other. We all need help. We all have shortcomings. We all have failures. We all have times where we let our flesh win. And so we have to tell people about this. We have to tell people about the sins that we deal with and the ways that we uh, change our service to feed ourselves rather than to be a light to others and a, a an imaging of the gospel in the world around us. We have to tell someone when we want to crush our children into submission, right? When they've disobeyed us for the 50th time in a row. We, we have to tell somebody that we feel that way. We have to tell people that we can't stand our selfish husband because he comes home from work and all he does is lay around all day. We have to tell people that we hate that person at work who just drives us bonkers and who we want to slap on the side of the faith, right? Every time that they say something silly or obnoxious or selfish or sometime that they're um, just doing something just wrong for you and for everybody there and for the company. We have to tell people. And we have to tell people how, how lazy we are and how we just want to relax and, and just watch another show on Netflix, Right? We have to tell people these things. Because as we tell these things, we bring the darkness right into the light. And, and the Bible tells us that when we bring the darkness into the light, he, is, he forgives us of our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so as you're telling, telling people these things, we, 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 sense, we sense our own guilt in them. We sense our shame that they're wrong. And as we, we tell them to other people, we, we know that they're wrong and that we want them to be cleansed. And so as, as you're a person who is, who is confided in, as somebody tells you these things, what is your role here? Your role is to love them. Your role is to serve them by sharing the gospel with them, 
by embracing them as your brother and saying, me too, me too. And washing them in the word and forgiveness and grace and mercy of our Father in heaven. Which leads us to our last one, which is rest. We have to rest in the free and generous grace of God because we fail so much. We fail all the time. And if we're not resting in God, if we're not resting in knowing that the war has been won for us by Jesus on the cross, that he has accomplished everything and defeated all of our enemies, and nothing will stand in the way of us rising victorious with him, nothing can stand in our way because of what he has done. We have to rest in the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for you. So let's pray. God, you are so good to us. And it's so easy for us to to hear something about what we should do and to forget about what you have done. You have saved us. Not our own efforts, not our own discipline, not our own ability to obey, but you have saved us. There's nothing we can do to lose that. There's no amount of failure that will have you strip us of our possession of your, uh, of your name. You won't take away your seal of the Holy Spirit. You have bought us and we are yours. And so Lord, I, I hope we feel the freedom today to serve you in all of life, to serve you with everything that we have in every moment, our washing the dishes, our going to work, our driving our cars, our feeding our children, our cleaning diapers, our setting up chairs, our teaching in Sunday school, our leadership at work. All these things are service to you. All these things are yours. And God, I, I, I pray that you would challenge us today in our hearts that there, there is no time where we're not your servant. Challenge us to know that even our dishwashing, even our work, even the minuscule things that we do each day are for you. And that you have called us to work heartily and with sincerity and out of faith, believing that you are our reward. And so help us today to know you better and to love you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.